Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about how to invest your cash savings. So that is, if you have some surplus cash savings, you know, what should you be doing with them? Because quite often people wonder if they should be doing more with them, particularly if they're just deposited in a bank account. And obviously over the last couple of years, you know, the interest rates that apply to um, at-call deposit accounts is uh, pretty low. So what I thought I'd do is talk about some of the options and considerations that I think about uh, when a client approaches me with that situational question. Now, of course, it should go without saying that uh, the information covered in this podcast and really all episodes isn't personalised advice, of course, because I don't know your circumstances, your goals and so forth. So before you act on any information in this episode or, or any episode really, uh, of course you should go and obtain your own personalised financial advice. Now before we get into investing surplus cash flow, the first thing I would say is that I think it's really important for most people to retain a buffer uh, in, uh, in cash, obviously a readily available cash, uh, in case of emergencies. Now in terms of the size of that buffer, I would typically counsel clients to have somewhere between 6 and 12 months worth of general living expenses as that buffer. Um, If your income or expenses can be volatile, uh, so if you have a lot of variability in your income, for example, uh, you might want to have 12 or more uh, months of living expenses in cash. So just something to think about. So I guess this uh, episode really only applies to cash in excess of that buffer but it certainly is important to have that buffer in place okay so let's get into it the first option i'd like to talk about is of course you can take those surplus savings and contribute them into super uh, you can make two types of contributions into super what's called a concessional contribution uh, which is a contribution you'll claim a tax deduction for uh, and the concessional cap is twenty-seven and a half thousand dollars per annum uh, and included in that cap is any contributions that your employer makes on your behalf, uh, superannuation guarantee contributions. So, you know, if your employer is not fully utilising that cap, uh, then you can uh, make personal contributions at, at any time, uh, either through salary sacrifice or directly into your super fund um, and claim a tax deduction for it. Uh, if you've already exhausted the cap, then you can make non-concessional contributions and the annual limit there is $110,000 uh, uh, per year, per financial year. So uh, they're after-tax contributions, which means you don't get a tax deduction for it, uh, but also they don't attract any contributions tax inside super. So the benefits of uh, moving your savings inside super are twofold. Uh, firstly, it's a low-tax environment. Uh, I mean, when you're in accumulation phase, uh, the income is only taxed at 15%, and any capital gains at 10%, which is a lot lower uh, than what most people are paying outside super. And particularly if you're a higher income earner, you know, it's an attractive environment to accumulate wealth in. The second uh, advantage is that your money will automatically be invested in line with your investment option. So whether you've selected balance, growth, whatever it might be, uh, the point is that they'll have a a well-diversified asset allocation and your money will be automatically invested in that. So it's a very sort of simple, hands-off, easy way to, to make sure that your cash savings are working. 
Now, the downside to contributing money into super is that it's locked away and you can't access that money until you're 60 and retired or 65 and still working, either or of those two things. Uh, Whether that's a potential problem for you really depends on a couple of things. Uh, Firstly, how close you are to to being able to access those monies. So, you know, if you're um, 64, for example, putting the money inside super is not a problem at all because next year you'll be able to access it if you really need it. Uh, And the second consideration uh, is, you know, what, what assets do you have outside super? So, you know, in case of emergencies, if you have still substantial assets outside super, well, putting it inside super is not such a big deal because the likelihood of you needing to access it um, uh, before you, ex- you know, before retirement uh, is very low. Now, of course, if you're going to make additional contributions and move your savings inside super, you want to make sure that your fund is performing, uh, that the fees are okay and so forth. And I've done uh, recorded episodes uh, previously to talk about, you know, who is the best super fund. Okay, another option uh, that is separate to super is to invest your money in what's called hybrid securities. So a hybrid security is really an investment that has both bond and share characteristics. So it kind of sits in between a bond and a share, if you like. So for example, a hybrid security usually pays a monthly sort of income, uh, just like a bond. And, and it pays through that through a dividend payment, but you know it's, it's much like an, an interest payment, if you like. Um, those dividends uh, typically have imputation credits attached to them, uh, so that's more like a share. Uh, so you, you enjoy the franking credits and uh, so forth uh, associated with that income stream. Uh, hybrid securities are usually issued for a fixed term, so they've got a maturity date, just like a bond. Uh, and subject to certain trigger events, a hybrid security can convert into an ordinary share. Uh, so quite often banks, for example, issue hybrid securities as a way to help manage their liquidity ratios. And if their liquidity ratios fall, well, those hybrids will convert into shares. So they they kind of have characteristics of both. And really, no two hybrid issues are the same. And they are very complex products. Um, so it's something to be really careful of. Now, to mitigate these risks and complexity, uh, I have always invested um, in hybrid securities using a managed fund. And the reason for that is, firstly, it will provide you with a good level of diversification. So they're holding a a bunch of different hybrids. And secondly, the manager can manage the risk associated with potential conversion and the pricing of that hybrid security and so forth. Now, we use an ETF typically to invest in hybrid securities. Uh, it's It's called BetaShares Active Australian Hybrids Fund. Uh, The ticker code is HBRD, uh, and we typically use that to invest in hybrid securities. Now, the monthly income it's been paying over the last 12 months is equal to 5.19%, including imputation credits. That's a pre-tax return. So the yield is also linked to the RBA's cash rate. So if the RBA increases its cash rate, that'll flow directly through to this uh, investment return as well. Uh, And the um, capital value of the investment is relatively stable. It can vary typically by 1% or 2%, but over long periods of time, you can expect probably even less capital movement than that. So 5.2% is a pretty good return considering, well, if you compare it to, say, uh, bank accounts or term deposit rates. Now, I should warn you that this investment can be a little bit more volatile 
uh, over shorter periods of time. So, for example, between May and mid-June this year, the fund lost 4.6% of its value. That's when bond spreads uh, really widened due to the RBA's kind of mismanagement of interest rates, which I've spoken about before. Um, However, since mid-June, it's recovered about 80% of that decline, and I think over the next couple of weeks or even month or so, it will recover the rest of the the rest of the decline, but I guess again it's a it's an example of how this product typically very capital stable, but there can be periods of time uh, where it can be a little bit more volatile. Although if your investment horizon is six months plus, um, I think you can pretty confidently assume that you're not going to have very much uh, variability in capital value at all. But it's not impossible. Because this fund is an ETF, you can invest in it using just any old online share trading account, which means that you know you can uh, invest, you know, buy that stock uh, tomorrow, and if you need the money at any time, uh, you can sell that down. And as we know, any share trades settle within three days, so essentially almost the money's at call. Uh, you have to wait three three days to get the money, but that suits uh, most people. Of course, another option is to leave the money in your mortgage offset account. Uh, Of course, most lenders offer offset accounts against any variable rate investment or home loan. Uh, An offset account is, of course, just like a standard uh, transactional account, so you've got uh, at-call access to it. Now, of course, a a loan and offset account balances are netted off at the end of the day when the bank calculates the the daily interest charge in respect to the loan. Therefore, in essence, any money that's in the offset account is saving slash earning you the amount, an amount equal to the mortgage interest rate, um, which is typically higher, well, it's going to be higher than every single transaction account out there and also most term deposit rates. Um, sometimes people push back and say, yes, but I don't want to offset an investment loan uh, because I'll reduce my um, tax deductions. Well, that's true, but you know, you're going to have to pay interest. If you go and invest the money somewhere else, you'll earn interest and you'll pay tax on that. So one is taxable. So sorry, both of those things are taxable. So it's really then just about the interest rate and the tax deductions don't matter. Uh, that is true, of course, if we're investing in the same names. But for example, if your spouse has very little income and you've got a lot of income, then yes, it might be worthwhile um, putting the cash savings in the spouse's name, having them earn the interest income because they're not going to pay much tax, uh, and then leaving your offset account uh, at a lower balance um, to to maximise your uh, negative gearing on property. So a mortgage offset account is a good um, place to accumulate savings, but it does depend somewhat on uh, if you have a spouse, uh, you know, your relative incomes. The next option is to uh, obviously invest it in the share market. We talked about making additional super contributions in order to do that. Well, if you if you didn't want to put it in super, you could obviously invest in the share market outside super. Uh, if you have a large amount of cash, uh, then you you would you would try and um, drip feed that into the market over a, a long period of time. So, for example, if you had two hundred thousand dollars of cash savings, I would probably invest that in equal tranches. Over the next 24 to 36 months, and I've talked about in a previous episode uh, a strategy on how to do that. Uh, In fact, refer to the episode on the 1st of September uh, 2021 for uh, what's called a powerful share market investment strategy you can implement yourself. So that's what the episode is called. And the final option that I wanted to talk about is that 
you could use your cash savings to assist in funding and investment properties holding costs um, by putting those monies in the offset account and allowing the property to eat away its negative cash flow to eat away at those savings uh, over a period of time. So let me explain by using an example. Uh, so for example, uh, I prepared some forecasts based on, say, purchasing investment grade property for 850000 renting out for $500 a week, taking out a new loan for 918000 so really all costs including stamp duty and buyer's agent fees and so forth, uh, and then depositing your $200,000 of cash savings in the offset account uh, against the new $918,000 loan. I assume that the investor contributes only $500 a week towards the holding costs of the investment property. And what I did is I forecast or projected what the offset balance would do. And essentially, the offset balance would reduce from $200,000 to $116,000 by year 19. So over the next sort of two decades, it would gradually sort of eat away at those savings. And then after year 19, the, the offset account uh, gradually recovers its money and so forth and essentially what you've done there is then use your savings um, to, to limit the amount that you have to contribute towards hold, the holding costs of an investment property, make a little bit more affordable from a cash flow perspective uh, and using your savings as a, as a buffer in order to, to do that. Now, I must point out that I would caution all investors to never, ever, ever borrow beyond their means. So this strategy shouldn't be used because it's the only way to service an investment property's holding costs. This strategy should be used to give you flexibility on how you allocate your surplus cash flow. So, for example, um, a client might want to uh, continue to make uh, additional super contributions and invest in property at the same time. Uh, and by putting their savings in a linked offset account and employing this strategy, it might help them do both those things. Um, but if worse came to worse, they could turn off the additional super contributions and still fund the investment property holding costs from, ca- from purely just from regular cash flow if they needed to. So it's a good strategy to provide flexibility, but it shouldn't be used as a strategy as the only way to be able to um, purchase an investment property because to my mind... Uh, that that looks like looks very much like borrowing beyond your means. All right, to sum up, uh, what should you do with your cash savings? Well, it's going to depend a lot on your circumstances, on any existing assets and investments and liabilities, really your 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 future goals and uh, what your future cash flow looks like. So I don't know what the answer is, but uh, hopefully this episode has given you some additional ideas to explore. Uh, if you're facing that situation. Uh, Before I leave you, my final comment is good luck to the Geelong Football Club. Uh, For those that have followed me for some time, probably know that I'm a a staunch supporter of the Geelong Footy Club uh, in the AFL, uh, and they play in the grand final uh, this weekend. So, of course, I wish them uh, the very best, and, of course, I'll be watching very closely. Uh, And apart from that, until next week, bye for now.